So I quit, I took the money that I had and I started feeding the homeless in my hometown with a good friend of mine who had sort of been on his own journey as well. And we were both sort of looking for an outlet to almost clean ourselves of the previous life. Welcome to Career Relaunch, the podcast focused on helping you overcome the challenges of making a major career change. My name is Joseph Liu, and I'm here to help you figure out the steps you can take to move on in your career and make your professional ambitions a reality. In each episode, we'll be speaking with people who have an inspiring career story to share, learning from the brave leaps they took to pursue something new and helping you find the clarity, confidence, and courage to make your own brave decisions that improve your career and life. You can subscribe to this podcast by going to careerrelaunch.net where you can listen to all the latest episodes and get more useful resources to help you navigate your own career journey. Today, my guest is gonna talk about his career journey from being a money markets broker to feeding the homeless to eventually launching his own company. We'll talk about the importance of making a contribution to society and how reading books can really change your life. Afterwards, I'll wrap up with a few thoughts on building your knowledge through reading. On today's show, I'm featuring my first guest from the finance sector. Scott Lee is an entrepreneur who's never looked back since he left the daily grind of London's financial world behind. After spending time working in the world of investment banking, wealth management, and money market brokerage, Scott left the finance sector, spent some time working with homeless people in need, and eventually went on to found Response IQ, a sales optimization platform. Now, Scott's going to share a very interesting story about how he was leading two very different lives professionally professionally and intellectually, and how taking the leap and quitting was the best decision he ever made. He spoke with me from London, England. Good morning, Scott, and welcome to Career Relaunch, and thanks so much for taking time to speak with us today. Thank you, Joseph. My pleasure. I'm looking forward to it. So I'd love to start, Scott, by just first of all, hearing what's been going on for you in your career and your life. I know you've had a ton going on the past few months and would love to just hear what you've been up to. The past few months have been very exciting. So I started a company called Response IQ around eight or nine months ago now. And I'm very fortunate to say that we've just secured venture capital funding. We're going to be moving up into new offices in London and expanding considerably. You know, it's a really exciting time in not just my life, but in the company's life. Things are full throttle right now. Everything keeps changing week on week, but I'm very excited about the next couple of months. Wow. Congratulations. We're going to come back to talking about Response IQ, but can you just, in a nutshell, give us a real quick snapshot of what Response IQ is all about? Well, we solve the problem of the fact that companies aren't that good at getting back to internet-based inquiries. So we've built a sales acceleration and lead management platform that turns inquiries into phone calls within 60 seconds. Can you go back in time and just tell me a little bit more about the work you were doing in the finance sector between 2011 and 2013 before you founded Response IQ? I did quite a lot of jobs in the investment sector before I quit and started this journey. I've been in finance and investment banks, I've been in wealth management, and most recently I was a money markets broker at ICAP in London. Didn't really fit me too much, but there was a lot of good times had there, a lot of great people met, and a lot of lessons learned. Unless I did that part of the journey, I don't think I'd be at this part of it right now. So, you know, everything along the way is certainly a lesson learned. And what originally attracted you to that sector? To be honest, like everyone else in that sector, it is the monetary rewards. 
I, educational path just led towards there. I always did quite well at school, went to a very good business school, performed extremely well, got very good placements and internships. And before I knew it, I was at the biggest companies in the world, working for some of the biggest name brands. And then that kind of just happened. It wasn't really something at 15 years old. I said, yeah, I want to be an investment banker. I want to be a money markets broker. It just happened really, to be honest, Joseph. I sort of blinked and next thing I knew I was in Canary Wharf. Right. Can you just explain what your day-to-day life was like there? Well, the most recent job I had was a money markets broker. Now, the way I can possibly describe that is the movie The Wolf of Wall Street. It's probably the last industry where it is still a little bit like that. You've got a load of very aggressive and loud men in one room, all very close together, shouting big numbers at each other, lots of stress. The hours were incredible. So I was sort of working 5.45 till 5 every day, no breaks. I was a junior there. As a young man, you're a junior, which means you're first in, last out. You get the lunches. You say please and thank yous. And, you know, it's you sort of do all the work with not much of the rewards. You're working those amount of hours. But you're also expected to sort of go out and entertain clients and drink and eat excessively at the same time. So it's physically a very draining job, even though you're sat down for... 99% of the day, you're burning it very much at both ends. Now, I know that when we first spoke, you mentioned the daily grind of the City of London's financial world. What made this a daily grind for you? I know you talked about the hours and, and how you had to spend your evenings with clients. What made this especially difficult for you? You know, some jobs where you have clients and you have like a a bit of a relationship with them and you sort of like them. But in that environment, traders and investment banks are your clients, you know, and these are some of the smartest people in the world. But they sort of have a bit of a God complex and you're sort of treading on eggshells the whole time. 80% of the time, you're not doing very much. But that 20%, if you get a decimal place wrong, You've cost the person to the left of you a thousand pounds who's your friend. So he's annoyed at you. The trader's shouting at you and the company's annoyed at you. So it's just an absolute roller coaster of emotions that really does just drain you down. And then if at the same time you go home, you're stressed, you can't sleep. I mean, I was a young man in my young twenties and by Friday evening, I just wanted to sleep. <laughs> yeah, that, right. that, that's a grind on anyone. What do you think keeps people in that industry working like that? I can absolutely tell you what keeps you in it because when I interned at this company before I was off the role in later years, I remember having a very nice man sit me down and go, Scott, you know, you, you seem like a nice, smart young man. Why do you want to work here? And I was like, well, it's ICAP. It'd be great to work here. And he went, are you kidding? He went, me and everyone else in this room, we would leave if we could do anything else. But we've been here so long. One, we're addicted to the money. You know, our lifestyles are at a certain level. Our kids go to a certain school. And two, we can't do anything else. We only know how to push around these imaginary numbers and turn them into other numbers. And he said to me, and it's weird how this has now become true. He went, what you need to do is leave and go work for a startup. That's the future. Little did I know that that would obviously come to fruition in 90 years. So what made you realize that you wanted to shift out of this world? I got really into documentaries and then I got very deep into a lot of literature, a lot of stuff that they don't teach you in school. You know, I'm, I'm a very well financially qualified young man, but then when you actually learn about how the financial system works, about how debt really works, things like planned obsolescence, the funding of wars and things like this. And then I sort of thought, I'm reading books about the companies that when I get off the tube and walk in the office, I then go and serve. I was kind of leading two lives. 
and I come to a, a pinnacle moment. I remember I used to go home and visit quite a lot in Kent from London, which isn't too far. And then there was there was one time I was with my friends having a drink, and I remember saying the sentence, "This time next year, I won't be working in the city." And the next day, one of them called me and said, "Look, Scott, you realise what you said last night?" And I said, "Yeah, you know, it's something I've been thinking about a lot." And I think that was the pinnacle time where I actually said the words out loud rather than just thinking about it in my head. And that certainly started the journey of looking for the next step. So what did you do next once you realized that you needed to move on? Well, I started looking at other options. I thought about going back to university and doing a master's, but really I knew that that was just putting the inevitable on hold. And then in the end, I decided that I'm actually just going to quit. I don't particularly want to do anything. I know that mentally I'm not prepared to take another leap into an industry that I know I don't like. So I quit. I took the money that I had and I started feeding the homeless in my hometown with a good friend of mine who had sort of been on his own journey as well. And we were both sort of looking for an outlet to almost clean ourselves of the previous life. And we sort of did that all winter. What was that like for you? That seems like a, a huge contrast between like working in a fancy office, making quite a good income to then being in this other world, feeding the homeless. What, what was going through your head as you were doing that? It felt good. It felt nice. You know, I hadn't really given any value. Uh, a term that I like to use a lot is value. And I think in the financial sector, there is zero value being created whatsoever. It's a zero sum game. But when, you know, you're meeting people out on the streets, they start remembering your name, you start knowing a little bit about their background stories, you see them when they're drunk, you see them when they're sober. It was a nice feeling because you'd go home and go, wow, you know, I'm freezing cold. It's been raining for two hours, but a load of people have now got a warm meal. And it's a nice feeling, something that I hadn't actually experienced before. It's something that I recommend that everyone does actually do. I mean, it's, it's easy to give five pounds in a charity box but only 50p of that will actually end up serving the charity. So you're better off just putting your hands in your own pocket and doing something yourself in the active community. And what did that teach you about yourself as you went through that? Not to judge a book by its cover is certainly one thing. I met some of the smartest people I've ever met whilst doing that. Granted, when they were sober, they were a lot smarter. Some of the stories were just incredible. Some of them were ex-city guys themselves that had just taken a few bad turns and then they, they get stuck in this rut. And there really isn't much to get them out of it. You know, you walk around London and I, I was someone that did just this. You walk around with your chin up. You think you're a captain of the industry. But that's because they breed you to think like that. You know, they breed you to think that you're the best thing walking. But you're not. Everyone is just a normal human being with a normal story. Everyone's got the same worries and same worries as everyone else. It's always so tempting to become arrogant and feel like you're on top of everything and you yeah, know exactly. everything. But in, in reality, we all kind of live in our small little worlds and there's so much we don't know and there's so much that could happen to us and life is so fragile and things can get taken away from you really quickly. So you're feeding the homeless. You've left your job. A lot of people, when they don't like their jobs, they tell me, I'd love to quit, but I just can't because I don't know what it is that I want to do next. I know I don't like what I'm doing now, but I don't have a sense of where I want to go. How did you manage that? Because I know you mentioned you weren't completely clear on what was next for you when we talked before. I took a bit of time out. I tried to almost not decide on what I was going to do next and let it organically happen. I was lucky enough. I was working at the same time. My family run a sort of medium-sized building company that's pretty successful where I'm from. And I've 
worked on that during the summers as a child. So I sort of had a, a second home to go back to and they couldn't quite believe why I'd left the city to come work on a building site. But to me, I was 20 times happier. So I got to do that to essentially tick over and have enough money to live and spend the excess on, on what I was doing with feeding the homeless with my friend. But that gave me enough time to zone out mentally. You know, that's a job that you can do and you can go home and you can forget. And you can actually have time to process about what you want to do next, what you're actually interested in. And with the internet now, you can really just go down any rabbit hole that you like. You can grab hold of anything now and just soak up all the information for free. And don't even get me started on the books that you can get on every single subject. That's when you really get into something. So you're, you're reading these books, you're learning a lot about yourself. What were people in your former professional life saying about this? Did you have interactions with them still? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I was just curious what the reaction was to this new life that you'd created for yourself. It wasn't just so much the people from the previous life. It was people, sort of family and friends as well. People did think I was a little bit crazy. And to be honest, I was a little bit crazy. You know, it's quite a random thing to do. Obviously, it's paid off now but to have you know the courage to actually do that it was difficult and there was some of the, the closest people to me who even though maybe they, they wouldn't have said it to my face you know they were skeptical and uh, that's not to say that they shouldn't have been skeptical it's healthy skepticism but it certainly did exist and in later years i've had people sort of come out and go scott i thought you were mental when you, you know, <laughs> the, the stuff that you were saying and whatever. But then on the other flip side, some of the people that knew me really well just turned around and went, Scott, whatever you do, you've got this. We believe in you. You've always done well. Whatever you choose to do next, you'll be fine. But let's make it clear there was a lot of people that would have put me in the crazy column. Wow. How did you manage that? Confidence, to be honest. I'm, you know, there's, there's a little bit of arrogance in me. I'm aware of what I know and I'm proud of what I know. And if I know more about something than someone else, then I will stand by my opinion in any given circumstance. And that's sort of been well documented in, in my life. So if I know that something's the right decision for me, well, then I've weighed up the pros and cons. I'm very analytical and therefore I've made the decision and my, my decision's made. So there's always going to be skeptics along the way, but no one ever achieved anything by agreeing with everyone else, that's for sure. Nothing ever got created that way either. What was the hardest part of that time between when you left your job and moved on to founding Response IQ? It was sitting down with my dad and stepmom. You know, my dad's a successful man. If, if he hadn't been sort of an entrepreneur himself, I don't think I would have had it in me. But at the time, I didn't know that. But if I just rewind a little bit, I had to come down to Folkestone and sit with the both of them who really had no idea what I was going through mentally, how unhappy I was with my role, with what I was learning about, with how the financial system works. You know, I was genuinely unhappy about these things. And I had to sit them down and go, look, I need a little bit of faith, but I'm going to quit. My decision has been made. I'm really not happy right now. I'm not in a happy place. And it wasn't a very emotional conversation. You know, I'm not, I'm not ashamed to say that. Mm -hmm. And that was definitely the hardest bit. And I remember it very well. I even remember what I was wearing that day. That's something that's certainly stuck in my mind. But I've been so lucky, Joseph. My family have been so, so supportive in everything that I've done. You know, never once was it really questioned. They had believed in me more than anyone, so I'm very fortunate. At that moment, you mentioned that that was really tough. What were you concerned about? I was concerned about what 
the future of my life looked like. Mm-hmm. And I was also concerned about, you know, I know it sounds almost a little bit naive, but, you know, yes, I am now the CEO and founder of this company, but I also care a lot about world poverty, about global issues and things like that. And at the time, those issues were really eating me up. So I actually probably cared more about those at that moment in time than I did my own well-being. And that's where I was at at that moment in time. So that also made it very hard. And to, to other people that loved me, trying to explain to them that I care more about other things than, than myself, you know, that's a difficult conversation to have by itself. I know that I also kind of wrestle with that sometimes. I feel like sometimes I'm, I'm focused on my own ambitions and I, I sometimes feel kind of guilty that I'm not doing more for other people. I always feel like I could be doing more and... I think about that a lot, actually. The problem is you have to draw the line somewhere, right? One day you just have to go, okay, I'm going to do this amount and you have to stop there because I was going down the path of, you know, doing everything and then you end up not really contributing anything because you've got nothing to contribute. My long-term ambition is, you know, the Warren Buffets of this world that make incredible money then gets to spend the rest of their life giving it away. Who would not like to spend the second half of their life doing good things for people who deserve it. I can't imagine anything more rewarding. Okay, so you're, you're kind of figuring things out during that year. How did you start to put the pieces together that you wanted to found your own company? I think it started with the self-help industry. I think I got into that. Was there any particular resource that you found useful? I think I read all the classics, everything from Guy Kawasaki, Brendan Bouchard, he's got some not very specific books, but just general books that just make you feel good, if I'm honest. Uh-huh. And then I sort of got the bug into reading books to make me feel good. But then a lot of these people are also entrepreneurs as well, right? Whether it be them marketing their own books or whatever thing they're probably selling ultimately. But that got me interested in the worlds of entrepreneurship. Next thing I know, I'm probably reading two books a week on different topics of entrepreneurship. A really good one that I read was The Millionaire Fast Lane. Bit of a catchy title, but it's a very, very good book for any sort of budding entrepreneur. And then it really just, one thing led to another. But I, I didn't stop reading and I still haven't stopped reading. In fact, next to me right now, I have two books in a package ready to send to my new head of sales and I want him to read them because I, I know how much I got from them. And you, you can spend a year learning about something or you can shut yourself in a room for a week and read all the books on it. You know, someone's been there before, made the mistakes you're going to make and given you the solutions. You know, it's, it's that simple. The knowledge is there. Was there any one or two pieces of insight that you got from those books that helped accelerate your move toward starting your own company? Yes, there was. And it was in the Millionaire Fast Lane. Ideas are easy to come by. Every guy who's ever sat in a pub has had a great idea. I had someone call me very recently and shared an idea with me. He's like, how do I protect the idea? An idea is nothing. Everything is in the execution. Also, as important is if an idea has already been done, that doesn't mean that you can't do it. The world is a big place and you can certainly take a twist on it. I think uh, an example that they give in the book is a gentleman who made a box standard bottle of vodka but he shaped it as a skull and then he sold the company for 30 million just by <laughs> making the bottle look cool right. you know you, you've just got to take something put a twist on it introduce it to another market and that's what really got me thinking if, if you sit there and think 
I've got to have the world's next big idea. You know, I've got to create the microchip. I've got to create the PC, you know, or the iPhone. It's not going to happen. Yeah, I think you've just got to scale down. I, I very much recommend the Millionaire Fast Lane to people to open your eyes up to the, the opportunities that are there without you knowing it. Can you just also tell me a little bit about what you learned about yourself during the past transition that you went through about career change? I don't think anyone can really be aware of the ideas that they can have and the things that they can overcome unless you sort of take a chance and you change something up. Don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with being an employee for the foreseeable future, but you can still have your own little mini entrepreneurial ship within your job. And I think sometimes unless you push yourself outside of those boundaries, you're not going to actually be able to have ideas and achieve things unless you make that chance. Uh, and that's something that I found very much myself. You know, I hit roadblocks almost daily and then come eight o'clock, nine o'clock PM, I've overcome it and absolutely excelled past it. And I never thought I'd be able to do things like this until I took myself out of that comfort zone. Just finally, do you have a piece of career advice you could share with people who are on the cusp of making that change? Maybe they're unhappy with their current role, but they just can't quite take that leap. Anything you want to share with that person? Whatever problem you're having, whether it's mentally, financially, or spiritually, put your head in a book. Get up an hour before you go to work. Read that for an hour. I used to read on the tube on the way to work. But yeah, anything that you want to overcome, there's a great author who's put it in a book for you. Go out, buy that book, and I promise it will be the start of the next 100 books that you read. So I definitely want to hear a little bit more about Response IQ. And I know that you mentioned before this is about response optimization and sales acceleration. Can you just tell us a little bit more about what you're doing there and what Response IQ is all about? We're very much solving a problem. If you get back to an inquiry within five minutes, you're a hundred times more likely to speak to that person versus if you wait just 30 minutes. So we walk in, we up their connection rates by 10, 15, 20, 30%. They create a great first impression. And off the back of that, there's all these metrics to show you how well your sales agents are performing, who's connecting the most calls, who's making the most appointments. So it's also a very much an accountability platform. And we're in a very good place right now, and we're really looking forward to some accelerated growth. Wow, fantastic. And I know that you just recently landed a round of VC seed funding. Is that right? And you're moving into London, right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, we've uh, landed some funding with Fuel Ventures, courtesy of Mark Pearson. I recommend that people look him up if they've got a great idea at seed level. He's a very, very uh, good man. Very happy to be sort of partnered with Fuel Ventures. Yeah, we're very grateful to be in this situation. My final question for you is, when you landed that VC round of funding, what was that like for you to have reached this point after not so long ago making that brave decision to leave your old job behind? Interestingly, I mentioned to you about how important the conversation with my dad and stepmom was when I first made that leap to leave. Well, interestingly, I actually got the email confirmation when I was on a Eurostar train to Belgium to go to a music concert with my dad and stepmom for my dad's 50th. And they didn't really know exactly what was going on. I sort of kept the cards close to my chest because obviously I was very excited, but I didn't want to say 
something that didn't happen. So I got to sit there and go, um, guys, I've got something to tell you. And it was this, you know, we were shouting, we were screaming, uh, and it was just this beautiful moment. And then the whole weekend in Belgium was stunning. It was a really, really good time. And looking back to where I was, even where I was 12 months ago, it's an insane journey. But, you know, you've got to take those risks. Right. Well, congratulations again on all your success. It's been a really interesting story to hear just how, how different your life is now compared to what you were describing at the start of this talk. And so just wanted to thank you for taking us through the importance of contribution, the power of reading, and also how you managed your own career change. So thanks so much for your time today, Scott. Thank you, Joseph. All the best for the future. Well, I hope you enjoyed hearing Scott's thoughts on feeding your soul, making a contribution, and tapping into the knowledge of others. Now it's time to wrap up with today's Mental Fuel, where I'll be sharing my own thoughts on building your knowledge. This is the part of the show called Mental Fuel, where I finish the show with some of my own thoughts related to one of the topics we covered today and wrap up with a simple challenge for you to help you move forward with your own career goals. So for today's Mental Fuel, I'm going to touch on one of the ideas Scott mentioned about building your knowledge through reading. Now, when I was listening to Scott describe his commitment to books and reading, I found myself thinking about some of the great books that I've read over time that have really had a positive impact on my life and my career. And at the same time, I found myself realizing I'm not a very disciplined book reader. I can't seem to get through a full book from start to finish these days. And as you may have heard me describing in one of my previous episodes, I definitely love reading articles, but I wouldn't say that I'm the best when it comes to reading books. Now, why is that? Well, maybe three reasons. First, it could just be because I sometimes lose interest in a book halfway through. And I know the idea of committing to reading a book from start to finish sometimes just feels really daunting to me. Or it could be due to the fact that the always connected nature of the world we live in now has led my attention span to probably not be what it was many years ago, which I'm sure is the case for many of you before and after the advent of smartphones. But it probably just comes down to me choosing to spend my time doing other activities that are higher priority or just more naturally enjoyable to me. Now, with that said, I've actually found that some of the most useful content I've consumed has been in the form of nonfiction books. So when I actually get myself to sit down and read a book, as long as it's the right one, I get a ton of value out of it. I know Scott shared a couple of his favorites, so I thought I'd go ahead and share two of my favorite books. I read mostly nonfiction, and one of the books that I think is really fantastic is called Great by Choice by Jim Collins. And that's just had a huge impact on not only how I think about business strategy, but also how I run my own career in order to stay competitive out there. Another one I really like is called How to Deliver a TED Talk by Jeremy Donovan, which is a book I recommend to anyone who's interested in public speaking. And this book radically changed the way I approach delivering talks and workshops and has really helped lead to my identity now as a professional speaker and presentation skills trainer myself. Anyway, I'm talking about this because I really do see a ton of power in sitting down and quietly tapping into the wealth of knowledge that books can offer. Books can help you build your knowledge, improve yourself, or just learn about a new topic. And in a sea of online blogs, news feeds, and tweets, I really do think Scott's onto something here about how books still have a unique way of imparting you with lessons and information that can add a ton of value to your life and the people you serve. This reminds me of a quote by Charles William Eliot. Books are the quietest and most constant of friends. They are the most accessible and wisest of counselors and the most patient of teachers. 
So my challenge to you is to go get that book that's been on the top of your reading list and read the first 10 pages this week. Now, the key here is to commit to a cadence of reading that's manageable, and I'm going to do it with you. I've been wanting to read Awaken the Giant Within by Tony Robbins for so long. So I'm going to commit right here to reading 10 pages a day. And for some of you, that might not seem like a lot, but for me, that's the volume that I can fit right now into my life. That gives me about 50 days to get it done. So hopefully by episode 21, I'll try to report back to you and let you know how I did. So figure out what amount and frequency works for you, commit to it, start reading, and see what impact it starts to have on your career and life. Now, I'd actually love to hear what's on your reading list because I'm always looking for good book recommendations, especially related to career development and self-improvement. So definitely let me know which book you're planning to read or have read at careerrelaunch.net slash episode 18. You can leave a comment, ask me a question you want addressed in a future episode, and also find a recap of today's episode with a few of those books we've mentioned. While you're there, if you find this podcast valuable to your career, I'd really appreciate you leaving me a positive five-star review for Career Relaunch on iTunes. It only takes a couple minutes and every single review really helps this show reach more people like you and grow our community. You can do that right there at careerrelaunch.net slash episode 18. Thanks so much for subscribing to Career Relaunch and a special thanks again to Scott Lee for sharing his honest story. This episode was mixed by Richard Pennington, Electrocardiogram wrote and performed our original theme song. I'm Joseph Liu and I'll see you next time.